Well, join with me in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity just to be here. Thank you for Josiah and Rebecca and for them sharing their hearts and their lives with us and and this uh, journey that they're embarking coming on this Saturday, Lord. We're just thankful for this opportunity that uh, you have given them to serve you in South Africa. And Lord, we pray that... uh, uh, Lord, that you just might uh, just use them in a mighty way as they seek to come alongside churches and to, uh, to help them be more effective in reaching their community. Lord, we pray that you might provide for their family, that you keep them safe and, and, and keep them close. And Lord, just thank you for this opportunity that you have given them. Lord, we, this morning we think of uh, Lester Hawthorne is in the hospital as and he went this morning and just having some heart issues. Lord, we pray that you would draw close to him and just uh, encourage him this morning, give the doctors wisdom and be with his family. And Lord, we're just thankful for your word and for the opportunity that we have to, to open up your word this morning and to be challenged by your word. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would help uh, us to, uh, to block out the distractions of our lives and just focus on you and, and your voice. And we pray that you might speak to our hearts and challenge us um, to live a faithful life of service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, Pastor Dick is in Children's Church, so he said I could go as long as I wanted to because he was over there with all the kids. So uh, he said uh, I could go as long as I wanted to, but uh, uh, I told him that I will try to be gracious and not, uh, not pick on him too much and, and uh, keep him stuck over there too long. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Uh, as you're turning to Romans chapter 3, I, I have a question to ask you. Do you know anybody who's good at making messes? Do you know anybody who's good at making messes? When I asked that question, what person popped into your mind? You know there's somebody that popped into your mind. Who, who was it? If you ask my family who comes to mind when I ask that question, it's very easy to answer. It's Zachary. No, hands down, very easy, because we have affectionately coined uh, Zachary with the phrase, he is the messiest eater on the planet. He's the messiest eater on the planet. After, after a meal at our house, if you were to look on the floor, you would know exactly where Zachary has sat, and you'd also know exactly what we had for dinner, because it would all be around his chair. And you know, as a child, a little kid, he was messy, and we thought that this was a phase that he was going to grow out of. And unfortunately, as he's gotten older, it looks kind of like a permanent predicament that's going to travel with him for the rest of his life, which makes us pray all the more for God's wife for him, uh, because she's going to instantly have to clean up his messes. Uh, But the reality is, at the end of the day, it's easy to make a mess, right? It's easy to make a mess. Dick came into my office on Friday to talk to me, and I had piles on my desk, and he's like, whoa, that's kind of messy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get everything together here, and it's easy to make a mess. And this morning, uh, we're going to start off by talking a little bit about what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and that's the mess of sin, the mess of sin. In our last few weeks in our series, Change of Heart, we looked at the the first three chapters of the book of Romans, where Paul continuously charges all mankind of being corrupt, 
because of sin. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dick was talking about uh, Romans chapter 3, and he shared with us from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, that Paul strung together a number of Old Testament verses to describe the devastating character of man's depravity. And Paul said, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it's written, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so as we think about these verses, and really these first three chapters of Romans, it's really talking about the doctrine of total depravity. That every part of man, his actions, his thoughts, his words, his motives, his attitudes, they've all been corrupted by sin. We're all totally depraved. The totality of a person has been negatively infected by the sickness of sin. And that's really what Paul was hammering in over and over again. And, and you probably felt like me, like we are hearing this every week in these first three chapters, that we're sinners. Uh, that, and, and, and Paul just stressed it over and over again. And in Romans 3.18, Paul again quotes an Old Testament passage, and he lets us know the destructive cause of man's sin when Paul said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Mankind doesn't have a proper reverence and respect for God's power and glory, and we don't have the proper dread and despair for disobeying God and choosing to sin and rebel against him. There's no fear of God. We have no fear of God, and that leads us to sin. And so as we've been talking about man's total depravity, it presents a, a distressing dilemma for both God and for ourselves. From mankind's perspective, how can we who are sinful ever be made right in the sight of God? And from God's perspective, with his divine justice demanding punishment for our sin and, and, and our condemnation, yet in his divine love, he wants to reach out and save the guilty man. So this dilemma leads us to this great divide and the turning point of the book of Romans, where we kind of transition from the bad news about the mess of man's sin to the good news about God's miracle of justification. We've been talking about that the only righteousness man can achieve in and of himself is unrighteousness because of our sinful nature. We said God is holy and just and, and righteous, and man is sinful and unrighteous. And our sinfulness separates us from the holiness of God. And so the most important question that we can ask this morning is this. How does an unrighteous man have a, a relationship with a righteous God? Or very simply stated, how do we become right with God? How do we become right with God? We've talked about our sickness of sin and that God hates sin and he's perfectly holy and just and, and, and righteous. And we're over here on the other end of the spectrum. So how do, we, how do we get right with God? And I think Paul lets us know how we do that. And he explains the miracle of justification here in these verses. Look with me in, in, in verse 21 in chapter 3. And Paul says, now, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in 
Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So here we see Paul is talking about this miracle of justification. And I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is, well, what is justification? If we're totally depraved, we're totally sinful, then, uh, then, then, then what is this miracle of justification? Because a right understanding of justification is critical to the Christian faith. It's essential. And a true view of justification, it's the dividing line between the biblical gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone and all the other gospels of good works out there. Justification describes the legal status of a defender before a judge, and this legal status determines their future. If a person is just, they're not guilty. They won't receive a punishment. But if a person is unjust, they're guilty, and they will receive a punishment. And we see that the justification being this kind of legal idea is, is very clear when it's contrasted with condemnation. When justification is contrasted with condemnation, to condemn someone is to declare them guilty. And so the opposite of condemnation is justification, which is to, which is to declare them not guilty. And so as I was reading about justification this week and studying about it, uh, I came to this definition of what justification is. It's the divine decree of God deciding to forgive our sins and declare us righteous in his sight because of the cross of Christ. So the divine decree of God deciding to forgive our sins and declare us righteous in his sight because of the cross of Christ. John Piper, talking on justification, said this, the gospel is the good news that our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is laid on us. This is the great exchange. The great imputation of our sin to Christ and God's righteousness to us called justification. And Paul described this, this great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Justification is where guilty sinners can be declared righteous before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what justification is. And the miracle of justification is that though we're guilty sinners, God declares us righteous in his sight. That's what justification is. And so if we know what justification is, the next question that probably comes to mind is, well, then how are we justified? How do we achieve or receive this righteousness that Paul is talking about here? And Paul talks about it. First of all, he says righteousness is apart from the law in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And as we read here and as we've read in the, in the previous chapters, living by God's law doesn't earn our righteousness. It exposes our unrighteousness. 
because we, perf- we can't perfectly keep God's law. We can't perfectly follow it. And so Paul starts off and says, righteousness is apart from the law. And in verse 31, he starts the, the verse with these words, but now. And it indicates that we're making a transition from man's sin and inability to please God to God's provision of salvation, from the doctrine of total depravity in the first three chapters of Rome to now the doctrine of justification. But now kind of serves as an an, an exclamation of hope for us. I mean, we've been going through chapter after chapter that we've been drilled into us that we're sinners, we're sinners, and can almost be hopeless And now we get to these words, but now, it's an an exclamation of hope. We're transitioning from God's wrath to righteousness. And Paul clearly says this righteousness is apart from the law. He lets us know up front that the righteousness God imparts to believers is apart from the law. It has nothing to do with the law. And the law is referring to the Mosaic law system found in the first five, five books of the Old Testament. And with the Old Testament law, man's righteousness came by behaving. Man's righteousness came by behaving. Man attempted to become acceptable to God by obeying his law. And no matter how hard they tried, they could never perfectly obey it. And as a matter of fact, as hard as we try in our own efforts to obey God's law and earn a right standing before him, we will fail as well and will choose to sin. And so Paul says it's apart from the law, and then he goes on and says the righteousness of God, the justifying activity of God, he says, has been made known. It has been made known. Paul is talking about God's plan of salvation, this justifying activity where sinners can be forgiven and declared righteous. And Paul says this has been clearly revealed through Jesus Christ. It's been made known through Christ that he came to provide a way that we can be justified. In the end of verse 21, Paul says the law and the prophets, they testify about this righteousness of God, this way that we can be righteous. And the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets didn't show man how to achieve their own righteousness, but they pointed to a coming Savior who would provide the righteousness that God demanded. And we, uh, in the beginning of the year, we spent some time going through the Old Testament and seeing how the Old Testament pointed to the coming Christ. And, and that's what Paul is saying, that the Old Testament and the prophets, they pointed to the coming Christ. The Mosaic laws were not given as a means of achieving righteousness, but describing God's righteousness and showing our impossibility of living a perfect or righteous life. And the Old Testament sacrifices were not prescribed as a means of fully atoning for sin, but of symbolically pointing to Jesus who would become the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice once and for all, for all sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we, are, we become conscious of our sin. So trying to live in obedience to God's law doesn't reveal our righteousness. It shows us our sin. 
So this righteousness, Paul says, it's apart from the law. It's apart from the law. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't get to it. You can't do enough good works to be declared righteous because we are stinking sinners. You can't do enough good things. It's apart from the law. Paul goes on to say that righteousness is acquired by faith in verses 22 and 23. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul states here, first of all, this righteousness is essential for all because all have sinned. It's essential for all because we've all sinned. It's interesting, Paul starts off this and he says, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And from a, from a societal standpoint, there was a big difference between Jew and Gentile. They were different communities. They had different customs. But what Paul is saying here is, spiritually speaking, there's no difference. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Paul says all people have a common problem. It's a sin problem. And we know sin is simply this. It's the rebellion against God and His commands. We saw it in the Garden of Eden when Adam chose to do his own thing and eat from the tree. And, and that's what sin is. It's a rebellion against God and his ways and his commands. And Paul simply says, all have sinned. And really in Romans 1, 18 to 320, we've been talking about that over and over again. All mankind suffers from the sickness of sin and our need of a savior. And as we work through those verses, we saw the, the unrighteousness of the, the Gentiles and we saw the self-righteousness of the Jews and the reality is they both were sinful. They could never be a good, good enough to earn Christ's righteousness. Paul goes on and says, we're all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Because we sin, we fall short of God's divine and high standard. Mankind always comes short of the glory of God because we don't measure up to the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. We all fall short of his glory. We all fall short of the mark. We miss the mark of God's high standard. And so we all have this common problem. We are all sinners. We're all sinners. And so this righteousness is essential for all because all have sinned. But Paul goes on to say this righteousness exists for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. It exists for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. In those verses, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. It's talking about justification here. God decided to forgive our sins and declare us righteous, and he says it's only achieved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's only achieved through faith. True saving faith involves repentance from one's sin and a complete trust in the work of of Jesus Christ, and the person and work of Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. And when a person has faith in Jesus Christ, well, what does that mean? It means they believe Jesus is who he said he, he is, that he was the Son of God, and, and, and we trust Jesus has done what he said he did, that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross and bore our sin on the cross and died to pay the price for that sin, and three days later he rose again. Paul tells us who Jesus is and what he did in 1 Corinthians 15.1 when he says, Now, brothers and sisters, 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I've received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Righteousness comes to those who have faith in Jesus. And Paul goes on as to say, this righteousness is for all of those who believe. All of those who believe. This righteousness, our justification, is available to all, but only acquired by those who have faith in Jesus, who believe in him. It's available to all, but it's only acquired by those who believe in him, have faith in him. And with the gospel, righteousness comes by believing, not by behaving. It comes by believing, not by behaving. So anyone will be saved who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the good news is just as no one is good enough to be saved, here's the good news. No one is bad enough that they can't be saved. We're not bad enough that we cannot be saved. But everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is declared sinful and rejected by God. But everyone who does have faith, who believes in Jesus, is declared righteous and acceptable and accepted by God. So this righteousness exists for all who have faith in Jesus Christ. It exists for all of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul goes on and says, righteousness is accessible because of the cross of Christ. It's accessible because of the cross of Christ. Verse 24, he goes on, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And here Paul tells us this righteousness is is provided for all because of God's grace. It's provided for all because of God's grace. He says, we're all, he says, we are all justified freely. And what he's saying here is all who have faith in Jesus are declared righteous without personal cost. It was free of charge. We don't have to pay anything for it because it's by his grace. God deciding to forgive our sins and declare us righteous is a gift of his grace. It's not an award for our actions. And so it's, it's, it's a gift of his grace. And grace is God's goodwill and his, his kindness given for our benefit. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. And the greatest gracious gift that we could ever receive is, is the gift of justification by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him declaring us righteous, being part of his family. Have you ever been on the end of receiving a gracious gift? How does that make you feel? Unworthy, overwhelmed? Um, Or on Christmas break, we got to go, had the privilege, we got a gracious gift. Dana's parents gave us a, a gift of taking us to Costa Rica with them on a family vacation. And uh, we had the opportunity to, for 
eight or nine days travel from place to place to see the country of, of Costa Rica. And so we spent a lot of nights in a lot of different hotels. And uh, the first night we were in a hotel and we had to be packed up and, and leave early in the morning and, and a bunch of different things. And we got to our second hotel and we were getting ready to, to uh, put the kids to bed, tuck them in and get ready to tuck Zachary in. And, and we realized we forgot something. We forgot Zachary Jr., now, Zachary, when he was in first grade, Mrs. Olson gave his class a gracious Christmas gift. It was Zachary Jr. And Zachary loves this. And I think his friends love it too because they put, clip him on their backpacks. They take him with them. Uh, they, they just Zachary sleeps with him. And, and, and so he loves Zachary Jr. And, and we got to the hotel that second night and realized we don't have Zachary Jr., and I wasn't sure how this was going to go. And Zachary, he, he pulled through. He, he, he didn't break down. And, and I said, well, we'll talk to our tour director and we'll see if they can call back to the hotel and see if he's lost forever. And maybe they could find him. And so the next morning she called and she, she said, you know, Rebecca said, I'm not going to make any, any promises, but we'll see what we can do. And she called and for a few days we wondered if that was the end of Zachary Jr., we're getting toward the end of our trip, and, and we, were, we weren't going back to the hotel we were at in the beginning, but we were uh, going to be back in the same city before we flew out and across town a, a ways away. And, and, she's, and as we're getting back into the city, she said, well, you know what? The good news is they found Zachary Jr. Uh, the bad news is I'm not sure how we're going to get there. Um, there's not a whole lot of time. We're not going to be close to it. You could take a taxi, and it would cost you over $100, but going back and forth to get there. And at that point, me being the kind father that I am is thinking, there is no way this is worth a hundred bucks. <laughs> right? I mean, right, dads? That's what we're thinking. Where, you know, and, and, and so I'm thinking, Zachary, how much money do you have? Uh, uh, and, uh, um, you know, and, and different things like that. And, 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 so, and so we were trying to think, well, what, and he really wanted Zachary Jr. back. So we're trying to think, well, what are we going to do? And Rebecca, our tour director, said, well, let me work on it. Just, just let me work on it. Let's not worry about it. Let me work on it. And the, the final morning we were there, we woke up. And we're, before we are getting ready to leave for the airport, she walks in with a little bag with Zachary Jr. And she gives it to him. And his face lit up because he was reunited with his friend. That was a gracious gift. She didn't have to go. She, she made arrangements. She called some friends and colleagues and had them drop it off at the hotel free of charge. It, it, it was a gracious gift. It was a kind gift. It, it didn't cost us anything. And, and, and Zachary was so, um, so pleased and, and, and felt so, so happy about that. And, and that's what uh, the gift of our righteousness, God justifying us, our salvation, it's a gracious gift from God. We don't deserve it. We can't pay for it. By doing good things or trying to earn it by obeying God's law, justification is a great gift of God's grace. It's, and this righteousness is provided for all because of God's grace. But this righteousness is possible for all because of the cross of Christ. While it didn't cost us anything, our justification did have a price to be paid. And Paul says it's through the redemption. And if justification is a legal term barred from the courts of law, 
Uh, Redemption is an economic term borrowed from the marketplace. And redemption describes being delivered by means of payment or ransom. And it's typically used in reference to the gaining of freedom of prisoners or slaves from captivity. Redemption simply means deliverance by the payment of a ransom. And Paul talks about who paid this ransom for us, that we could be redeemed, that we could be considered righteous when he says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Because of God's grace, redeemers are redeemed from sin. Believers are redeemed from sin. And Paul says that came by Christ Jesus through the shedding of his blood. Jesus paid the ransom for our deliverance from the penalty of sin by shedding his blood and dying on the cross for my sin and for your sin. What a gracious, gracious gift. Paul goes on and says, God presented Jesus, and and this is the amazing thing, from eternity past, God knew that as man, we would rebel against him and sin. He knew that from eternity past. But from eternity past, God knew he would send Jesus on a rescue mission to this earth to redeem us, and it all culminated at the cross of Christ. So Paul says that we are redeemed by Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus is our sacrifice of atonement. God presented Jesus as the perfect and permanent sacrifice uh, that satisfied the wrath of God and redeemed us from our sins once and for all. Once and for all. And so this righteousness is possible for all because of the cross of Christ, because the great price that Christ paid for our sin on the cross. Which leads us to the final thought is, is this. This righteousness is personal, for, is personal for all who have faith in Jesus. It's personal for all who have faith in Jesus. And Paul ends, that, uh, ends our portion of Scripture in verse 25 and it's when it says, to be received by faith. Only those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are redeemed or freed from the penalty of sin and declared righteous. And this righteousness um, is only possible because of the cross. We're all born sinners, totally depraved, but we're not all born justified. It's only through faith in Jesus that our sins can be forgiven and we're declared righteous. And that is the miracle of justification. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard the phrase a few times, do you believe in miracles? And for those of you who enjoy sports, when I say that, you know exactly what comes to mind. Al Michaels, 1980, the, uh, the United States were playing the Russians in, in an Olympic hockey match. The Russians were, were the heavily favored to win in that one, and somehow we pulled off the upset and won. And at the end of that broadcast, Al Michaels says, do you believe in miracles? Al Michaels gets the credit for this famous phrase that everyone knows uh, when he says it, what's it about? But I think Paul said it first here in Romans 3. 21 to 25. Talking about where men can have victory over sin. Do you believe in miracles? 
Because this is simply the miracle of justification. It's this, rebellious sinners can be made right with a holy God through faith in Jesus. That's the amazing miracle of justification. Rebellious sinners can be made right with the holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the question for you this morning is a personal question. Do you believe in the miracle of justification? Has there been a time when you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Because no matter how good of a person you might think you are, we're never, ever going to do enough good things to earn our way to heaven. We're never going to do it. The only way that we can be, our sins can be forgiven and we can be declared righteous is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the miraculous gift of justification. And that's the most important decision that anyone could ever make in their lives. And it's my hope and my prayer that you do believe in the miracle of justification, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are right with God and are choosing to live a life of obedience to him and service to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word and to share about this miraculous gift of justification. And Lord, when we think about the cost and the price of what it costs to be redeemed from our sin, it costs your son's life because of our rebellion. And God, forgive us when we, as believers, take that for granted. Forgive us when we don't realize the great cost that, co- that our salvation cost us. Forgive us when we choose to, to discount sin in our lives and, and not see it as something that just breaks your heart. Forgive us when we don't realize that we have been redeemed and made righteous and and you've given us the opportunity to serve you and live lives of of honor for you and and lives of ministry to share this miracle of justification with those around us. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would just give us a renewed desire to be overwhelmingly thankful for the gracious gift of justification and an overwhelming commitment to to be thankful and to choose to, to share this miraculous gift with those around us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us. And Lord, thank you for the good news that though we're sinners, we can be made right with you. In Jesus' name, amen.